Martina, a good piece of news that came out, you know, and we obviously saw the RAND reacting quite violently to that, and uh, in conjunction with the U.S. GDP numbers, we saw it strengthening quite a bit. But, uh, you know, if we focus on those trade numbers, we saw a trade surplus for the month of June of 12.5 billion RAND, and, uh, you know, we obviously saw it, uh, uh, we obviously saw a surplus in May uh, of, of 18.5 billion RAND. So, you know, we've seen South Africa rack up some good trade numbers uh, during the second quarter. Um, this obviously had the impact of bringing the year-to-date trade deficit down uh, to just under 23 billion rand. If we compare this to the same period of 2015, um, you know, the first six months of 2015, um, you, you know, the, the, the trade deficit there of just under 47 billion rand. So we've seen a marked improvement in the trade numbers of South Africa. And if we break those numbers down, Sakina, it's uh, really been attributable to an 11% increase in export growth and only a 4% increase in import growth, you know. So a lot of analysts talking about the fact that uh, the trade numbers are looking slightly better because the economy is so weak and our import numbers are um, really, really, really poor. But, uh, you know, that seems to not be the case. We are seeing export volume growth, and I think that is definitively positive for the South African economy. Um, You know, this is after uh, a couple of weeks of really bad news with the IMF slashing our economic growth forecast and the Reserve Bank mentioning there's going to be 0% economic growth for this year. Um, You know, so I think that uh, it is a bit of a shining light for the South African economy. Um, You know, if you look at what impact this will have on our manufacturing sector, um, obviously this creates some opportunities for our manufacturing sector, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of being able to leverage uh, off the, the, the stronger exports and uh, hopefully this will reflect in our manufacturing PMI numbers in, in, in the months to come. But uh, overall, Sakina, that's really why the RAND has, stre- one of the main reasons the RAND has strengthened to the degree that it has, uh, that it did on Friday. Um, you know, we saw it breaking through the 14 RAND to the dollar barrier for the first time in 2016. Um, and if you look at it on a one-month basis, the RAND has appreciated by almost 9% against the US dollar over the last uh, over the last month so you know quite a drastic improvement um, in, in in the value of the rand one obviously questions uh, what impact will this have on our exports and you know will will this um, this improved trade numbers be sustainable given the extent to which the rand is appreciated and I suppose we're just going to have to wait and see what happens on that front but uh, all in all Sakina the current account deficit was touted as one of the very big negatives of the South African economy because it's been funded by very volatile financial inflows into the South African economy. Uh, these trade numbers are certainly going to help that current account number. Um, you know, it's obviously not the only constituent in the current account number. We've got to wait and see what uh, the balance of payments does. And we know that foreigners have been repatriating dividends out of the country at quite a rapid rate. And uh, we're going to have to wait and see what the second quarter um, current account numbers come in at. But I suspect that they'll be markedly better given the improved in the, in, in the trade numbers. And then um, looking at the Dow Jones, slightly down there as well, and on the back of those U.S. GDP growth numbers that came out on Friday, Nadia. Yeah, Sakit, I mean, even though we saw an improvement in the U.S. economy during the second quarter, a 1.2% quarter uh, economic growth rate for, for the U.S. economy, um, it definitely disappointed market expectations. You know, I think the market was looking for a number of around about 2.5% economic growth, and it wasn't to be. And I think the biggest drag on that economic growth number was um, the slowdown in corporate investment. We saw corporate investment falling by just under 10% during the second quarter. Now, 
9.7%. And that's really creating what's creating the drag on economic growth. Because if we look at uh, consumption data, consumption was up for the quarter just over 4%, 4.2% uh, quarter on quarter in terms of consumption growth. We saw that uh, the U.S. economy, even though they had a really slow May in terms of jobs, uh, they had a bump in June in terms of 287,000 jobs added. Um, we saw very, very moderate wage inflation, but albeit some wage inflation, and we saw a lot of relief in terms of uh, gas prices or, or, or uh, gasoline prices. So, you know, th that, that really boosted consumption growth for the U.S. economy. But uh, that corporate investment number is really weighing on the economy, and it's very much akin to the South African environment, Sakina, where uh, corporates are not investing in the economy. This invest that, that investment is what really unlocks growth uh, with a strong multiplier effect. So, um, you know, we're going to... The, the, US economy, the U.S. is going to have to revisit the drawing board, find out how they're going to stimulate corporate investment in, in, in their economy, um, and in doing so, they'll unlock quite a, a large potential pool of economic growth. So for now, Sakina, the market fairly disappointed by the number. Um, if we look at uh, the, the composite GDP growth numbers between the first and the second quarter, we're looking at about a, a composite number of 1% economic growth, which is not exactly stellar. Um, and if we look at all the talk about the Federal Reserve looking at data and talking about the jobs numbers getting a lot stronger, the unemployment numbers there, um, you know, the consumption numbers there. So, you know, they're looking, uh, they, they, they're revisiting an interest rate hike um, at their next meeting. Um, you know, I think this data definitely puts a spanner in the works because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you can be adding jobs and your consumption growth can be looking better. But what is the overall state of your economy? And, uh, you know, this data certainly seems to suggest that the U.S. may not, may just not be ready for an interest rate increase. And uh, we see that in the Fed futures uh, market prices, where the market is now pricing in uh, under 40% probability of an interest rate hike um, at the next meeting, whereas just about uh, four days ago, there were, or five days ago, they were pricing in a 50% chance of an interest rate hike um, at the next meeting. So, you know, Sakina, I think, again, this has an impact on emerging markets. That's why we care about this kind of data, because the U.S. numbers are a market mover. Uh, we saw substantial inflows, again, into the South African financial markets on the back of disappointing U.S. GDP numbers in a search for growth, given that markets are expecting interest rates to stay on hold for a while. And that was the other major factor which contributed to a significantly stronger rand on Friday. And uh, just very quickly, Nadir, uh, consequences of uh, negative yielding debt? Yeah, yeah, Sakina. I mean, if we look at the world as it stands now, just over 21% of global debt is trading on a negative yield. I mean, you know, if we contextualize that, you've got to pay certain governments and certain corporates for the privilege of uh, lending money to them. Um, you know, and, I, and, and I think that creates a lot of distortions in financial markets and obviously creates a search for higher yielding instruments because uh, you know, if, you, if, if you consider a Japanese government bond or a German government bond or a Swiss government bond all the way out to 50 years in the case of Switzerland um, you know, with negative yields, it has drastic consequences for pension funding, Sakina, because if you look at who are the ma major holders um, of, these, uh, of these debt instruments, it's pension funds. And, uh, you know, if they, they're essentially saying, um, you know, on a 10-year view, we're going to lock in a negative yield for this pension fund. Um, you know, a lot of these pension funds are not going to have significant enough assets to pay out the liabilities that they have when the 
members of their pension fund retire. So, you know, that obviously has drastic impact for, for pension fund funding. Um, in lieu of that, you see a massive search for yield globally in terms of trying to go to instruments with higher yielding, um, with higher yields. And uh, that's where the, 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 the play for emerging markets comes in. And that's why we're seeing significant inflows into the likes of the South African bond markets. And, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, if just quickly to wrap up, I mean, if you look at the entire global develop, uh, bond market, there isn't a single global developed uh, government bond um, on planet Earth at the moment which is trading above a 4% yield. You know, I mean, if you look at the South African 10-year bond trading at just under 9%, that's more than triple uh, the, the highest yielding global developed market bond. And I think as long as that's the instance, there's going to be some sort of demand for South African assets because um, of the drastic impact these negative yielding and low yielding bonds have on a pension fund, a pension funding um, in the developed markets. So, yeah, Sakina, I think that's why we're seeing the kind of inflows into emerging markets that we see uh, every time there's expectations of yields in the developed market to remain lower for longer.